You're listening to The Bookstack with Annie, Nia, and Sydney. Hi, friends. Welcome to the third chapter of The Bookstack. I'm Annie. I'm Sydney. And I'm Nia. For today's chapter, our book stacks are focused around twists on well-known stories and lore. Stories and lore cover spoken fairy tales, scary stories told over the campfire, nursery rhymes, sung as bedtime stories, and more. These are the stories that people grow up on and can often recite without much effort. Recently, many of these stories of lore have been rewritten or added upon to give a new take on the well-known foundation. Some have been updated to match the times, thinking specifically of the Cinderella movies that came out of the 90s and the 2000s, and others have changed locations or cultures to speak to a wider audience. Although the setting, time period, or gender sometimes of the characters may have changed, the basis of these stories have not. So today, we've each chosen three titles from our stacks to share with you that show how these stories have been rewritten and have added to the original lore that they are based on. So Sydney, would you like to share with us what you have in your stack? Oh, I am so excited for this. I I cheated <laughs> this week. I'm not going to lie because I could not narrow it down. So my three titles are more of a title, a series, and an author. <laughs> I don't think that's cheating. I think that's just loving reading. I native application. I I'm just gonna go with it because I this is my jam. I'm so excited for this week. I can't even get date it. Okay, so the first one I want to talk about is the series of Rick Riordan. Um, there's three that I love more than the others, so I'm gonna focus on those. I picked the Heroes of Olympus series as my top favorite Rick Riordan series because. He, t- he writes with multiple narrators and you can actually tell the difference between the narrators. The characters are well-defined enough that when it shifts narration, you can tell, you can feel it. You, you can sense the difference between the characters. Um, there's the Trials of Apollo, which I have in my love of mythology because both Heroes of Olympus and Trials of Apollo focus on Greek and Roman mythology and they're true to the mythology which I think is really fun because it gives you a really good sense of what the actual lore is and he gives you factual information and then he plays on that so all of the the facts that he gives in the stories about different gods or demigods or the names of different characters are all true for the lore and then he plays on that to create this really fun storyline Trials of Apollo is actually from the perspective of Apollo. And as a god, he is his hubris is insane. I it's so funny to to read his hubris as it comes out on the page. But my favorite part about Trials of Apollo is that he starts every single chapter with a summative haiku. And if you go back after you finish the chapter, the haiku really does summarize the chapter in a way that you're like, oh, that was clever. And I didn't like it didn't explain the whole thing to the point where I didn't need to read the chapter but it was really a clever way to explain what was about to happen so I literally grabbed a trials of Apollo book and flipped it open to a random chapter and copied down the first haiku I found without trying to pick my favorite just so you guys can see how funny each of them are now I'm a suitcase duct taped to a satyr's back worst morning ever I love that (laughs) I love that 
could you take all the chapter titles together and all those haikus and form a long-ish haiku book? I bet you could. Like, I, do they all work together in that way? I mean, they are all accurate haikus. Yeah. He, he follows, like, there are no, what are they called? Tankas, the, the two lines that follow as a response. There's none of those. Mm. But all of the haikus are 353 or 575, excuse me. And they all, they all play so well. And they explain the chapter. If you go back and look at it after you're like, oh, that really is what happened in the chapter. Yeah, I can see. I would be like, okay, so there's the suitcase. There's the duct tape. There's there's the Seder. Oh, look, it's morning. Oh, look, this is what's happening. (laughs) Um, I just, I could get behind that being duct taped to a Seder's back in a suitcase (laughs) would definitely be a bad morning. I mean, I, I don't know how you could beat it. But so you know, it just cracks me up. Um, the the writing in Trials of Apollo is definitely my favorite writing of Rick Riordan's because it's just so it's so cleverly written. I legitimately laughed out loud multiple times while reading his series. Is um, that his second series? No, no, no. Um, I think Heroes of Olympus is technically his second series because okay. the Percy Jackson series was the first. Yeah, oh, Percy that's was right. first. Okay. And then Heroes came next. And then the King Chronicles, which are the Egyptian mythology. Okay. Um, and then uh, Trials of Apollo and then Magnus Chase, which is my my third series of my love of Rick Riordan. Magnus Chase, he incorporates some more inclusivity. It's not just a bunch of white kids out to save the day. Magnus Chase, he has a trans character that is uh, accepted and loved and, and appreciated for who they are. And they have uh, a girl who's really conflicted with being a demigod because she also is a Muslim and she's a practicing Muslim with a hijab and trying to figure out how she can do things without compromising her faith, even though she's torn between these two worlds. Like it's really fun and inclusive. And it's something that hasn't really been seen in a lot of young adult writing before. Mm-hmm. So I loved how inclusive it was because it, it made it easier for kids to see themselves in the characters. Percy Jackson and King Chronicles are not in my top love of Rick Riordan series. Um, they're really kind of meh, not because the writing's terrible, just because nothing happens that feels like they aren't going to just inherently succeed. Like the conflict isn't conflicting enough if that makes sense to make it feel like it's ever going to not be okay sure well and that could be his development as a writer if that was his first series or it could just be you know that's the goal he was going for it's hard to say I tried to read the Kane Chronicles and I don't think I got past the first book but that was when they were coming out and I knew it was a series yeah. And I just haven't revisited that series. I've revisited others of his, but not that one. I enjoyed that he went back and forth between a male and a female narrator. And that was kind of fun. The writing was fine. It was just all of a sudden I would get close to the end of the book and I'd be like, wait, was that the climax of the story? Because it was so fast and so easy to get through mm-hmm. that it it didn't feel like the climax. And I felt like I was still waiting for something big to happen. Mm. So I've read but, books like that. But, yeah, but the Heroes of Olympus series especially has some incredible uh, plot building and character building. And all of them, regardless of which series you pick up with Rick Riordan, has a fun twist on mythology and lore where he's staying true to the myths that he's very definitively researched well 
to be able to pull out things that other people wouldn't already know and then make it common knowledge among his readers, which I think is, is brilliant. And it engages kids in reading, which is the most important thing. And by kids, I mean, literally anyone, cause I am definitely not a child, but I love these books. We're all kids of all ages. That's true. I, I'm well, I mentioned, I mentioned earlier that, uh, these are books that I'm willing to put on my high school shelves. Yes. And that I will fight with parents and teachers that this is these titles are worth putting on the shelf because there are kids who get to 12th grade or 11th grade and still don't enjoy reading. And there's nothing wrong with going back to a story about the gods and their half children going to summer camp and learning about themselves. There's nothing wrong with starting there. No, absolutely not. And it's such a fun world to, to feel like you could be a part of which I think is where a lot of us, when we try to escape into reading, it's how do I fit into this world and where where could I see myself? I'm still waiting on my letter. It will come someday. Dude, you and me both. Someday it will come. Hogwarts or Ilvermorny needs me. I just know it. Some world needs me. (laughs) So the second title that I pulled for my stack is actually a series. And honestly, it's a really... It's, a, it's becoming a very well-known series. I, I read it right as it was coming out and a lot of people weren't as familiar with it at the time. Um, it's A Court of Thorn and Roses by Sarah J. Moss. It's a twist on Beauty and the Beast that becomes something more altogether. It's very cleverly written. It's beautiful writing, fantastic world building. She creates this world that has fairies interplaying geopolitical issues with human worlds, which is kind of fun by itself. And each court, each, each realm of the fairy court has a different theme. So there's the night court, the day court, the spring court, the fall court, the winter court, like there's all of these, and each of them kind of really fit within the theme and their powers fill those themes as well. But uh, it starts as a twist on Beauty and the Beast. And that's kind of how everyone got hooked into it. And then um, it became very spicy. And this book series is definitely not a book series for young readers. It is definitely not a series that I would give to a preteen or a teenage, you know, some teenagers, it probably is a little too spicy for, because there are some significant sex scenes in these books. I had no idea that it was spicy. It is, it is very spicy, which her first series, when it first came out, her first series was the court, uh, the throne of glass. Yeah. And that was originally put on the young adult shelves in all of the bookstores. And then Court of Thorn and Roses came out and everyone was like, oh, well, it goes in young adult because she's a young adult writer. And so they automatically categorize that. And I am in uh, Barnes and Noble in the heart of Utah County. And I had read the book and knew that there was a good amount of sex in it. And I was, I grabbed this, this bookstore employee and I was like you need to move this series to the adult section because this is a very conservative area and I think that parents are going to get upset if they buy this book thinking it's a young adult and she's like well we don't have any say over where we put it we have to put it where the publisher tells us and I said I get that but this book is really spicy and I don't think you understand how many issues you're going to have if you don't pull this book and put it in the appropriate section so that the right audience is accessing this book uh, it is now, I checked uh, on uh, Friday. It is It is in the right section now, in case you were curious. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure they had enough complaints, but it, it's interesting <laughs> oh, to me yeah. because I know like with the Harry Potter series, 
the first little bit what is shelved in the kids section mm-hmm. and the later books are shelved in the teen section even though it breaks up the series because of that mm-hmm. so i think yeah. it's hopefully we've we've moved past the well they all have to be in the same place which i prefer because it makes it easier to find yeah. But like we talked about with all the band stuff, if you get people really angry, they all go away permanently and we don't want that. No, I didn't know that they had broken up, that a lot of stores had broken up the Harry Potter books. The libraries have. I don't know if the stores yeah. have. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. I can see I it both that, ways. I think that it's important that authors feel like they're not pigeonholed into one genre or category too, though. Agreed. Like I, I can write more than just Harry mm-hmm. Potter or I can write more than just mythology you know. Mm-hmm. All right. I am going to move on. And this last title is actually a single title. <laughs> I know you're so proud of me at this point. <laughs> I pulled the Lost Wonderland Diaries by J. Scott Savage. Now this is a middle grade book. And even though it's a middle grade book and you can tell that it's written for a middle grade audience, he does this incredible, clever writing that makes it enjoyable for any age. So while I would give this book to my 10-year-old niece, I also put it on my mother's Kindle and was like, here, I have your next book that you're reading. You know, like it, there, are, there are so many levels of intricacy and building that make this book a fun, fun read, regardless of what age group you're in. Um, he also is really good at inclusivity, which I think is a theme of mine, this, this chapter. Um, his first series that was Far World had a girl with a physical handicap. She was in a wheelchair and lost Wonderland diaries has a girl with dyslexia and has, and part of her character flaw that she's working through that becomes part of the conflict that she has to work past to get out of Wonderland is her dyslexia. And I think it's really fun that he creates characters that a have flaws that you, that people can see that they're not perfect and they can work through the issues regardless um, but that they're, they don't have to be ashamed of those flaws and that they can actually be a, a benefit to them. But he also, J. Scott Savage very obviously did a deep dive into Carol lore and content in discovering who he really was and all the things Like he pulls in his real name. Lewis Carroll is not his real name. I don't know if you guys knew that. Lewis Carroll is a pen name. I did not know that. Thank you. I You're didn't know so that is his real name. Uh, Dodgson, Charles Dodgson. Who was, all, who was a famed mathematician. Like he was a very serious mathematician that, that did a lot of benefit to the world. And Interesting. Uh, yeah, had no idea. I learned so much from a middle school book. Who knew? It was brilliant. And it was so Reading, fun. Reading, it's magic. It right? is magic. Um, but his, his writing is just so clever and his, his characterizations are so fun. I just... I wanted to pull a book quote for you guys just to sh- like share my love of this book for you guys. Do you mind? No. Can I share something with you? Go for it. We would love to hear. Celia cautiously approached the door. Beside the porch was a large stone statue of a frog in a wig wearing short pants with long socks and a jacket with fancy embroidery running up its sleeves. And I thought garden gnomes were creepy, Tyra said, keeping well away from the statue. Celia tilted her head. I think I hear voices inside. On the door was a metal knocker shaped like a gargoyle. Celia didn't want to touch it. And when she stretched out her hand, the gargoyle flicked its tongue and slurped her fingers. Gross, she said, snatching her hand away. It licked me. That wasn't in the book either, Tyra said, but it's kind of awesome. 
You taste like annoyance mixed with a healthy dose of exasperation, the door knocker pronounced. That's disgusting, Celia said, wiping her hand on her pants. You don't randomly lick people without their permission. You shouldn't even lick them with their permission. What does annoyance taste like? Tyrus asked. The gargoyle winked one metal eye. Saltier than discontent, but not quite as full-bodied as vexation. Tyrus held out his hand. What do I taste like? Are you crazy? Celia asked. She tried to pull back his arm, but the gargoyle was too quick. It smacked its full lips. Ah, jubilation laced with maple syrup. One of my favorite combinations. Tyrus grinned. I had waffles for breakfast. That's amazing. <laughs> like I said, I was very excited for this chapter to come out. And I'm, I'm so excited to share these book series with you. Lost Wonderland Diaries, the second book, the cover just got released. So I know that the second book is coming out soon. I think it's going to be a series of four based on the hints in the first book. But I, I'm so excited and I know I have taken up a lot of your time, but I appreciate that you guys let me just ramble on about all of these books that I absolutely love. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of why we're here just a little bit, you know, it it is, it is, but this is not the Sydney show. Annie, what, what books are in your stack? Let's turn it into the Annie show. Uh, (laughs) so So I chose three books also. Um, One of them is very fairy tale, you know, Brothers Grimm, here we go. The other one uh, is a little bit less so. And then my last one is uh, the Old West because there's lore there also. Didn't all come from Europe. Some lore came from our land also. So the first one I chose is uh, (laughs) called Gilded and it was published in 2021 written by Marissa Meyer. Uh, And I was, as I was working on this, I have a book published in 2021 and one published in 2020. And I thought, I thought these books had been out a lot longer than that. And then I remembered what happened in the last two years and how long what happened in the last two years. Oh, I don't know. Shutdowns, you know, school from home. I gave birth to two children, which was super weird in the hospital when people couldn't come visit us. You know, it's been been some time. It's been two years. It's been two years. So anyway, Gilded was published in 2021, the end of 2021 even. Uh, And an old coworker of mine has been recommending this book to me every time I'm on campus. And I kept saying no, uh, because the cover just didn't pull me in. And with so many books in the world, I really need the cover to really capture me. But anyway, I read it because I could. And I am almost finished. I have about 50 pages left. So Marissa Myers wrote some other uh, fairy tales. She's the one who wrote Cinder, which is based on Cinderella. And that series follows other typical Disney princesses. There's Rapunzel, there's Snow White. Uh, And this one follows uh, Rumpelstiltskin. So it's the same type of fairy tale but not the princess. It kind of goes in a different direction. So it's based on the story of Rumpelstiltskin. I'm going to give a quick synopsis of the original fairy tale in case you're like me and don't really remember it. Uh, So in the original fairy tale of Rumpelstiltskin, the miller lies to the king and tells him that his daughter can spin straw into gold. Then the king kidnapped her and made her complete this impossible task. And then an imp, Rumpelstiltskin, comes to her aid 
and spins the straw for her. And then she ends up marrying the king. The imp made a trade with her uh, and the trade because magic needs to be paid. Uh, the trade was that in order for him to spin the gold for her, the straw, she would give up her firstborn child, even though this child hadn't been born yet. And then in the original story, the child is born to the miller's daughter and the king, and she has to go find Rubble Stiltskin to go get her child and, you know, get rid of this magical curse. And she has to say his name three times to find him. And that's the original, if it even is the original fairy tale. That's the thing about fairy tales. They keep changing. They keep adapting. So that's what I got. Uh, this adaptation is super dark. Uh, this is... Yeah, I read Cinder, the Cinderella adaptation by the same author, and it wasn't very dark. It's one that I recommend to people. But this one, I don't know. You have to be ready. You have to be ready for some very descriptive deaths. And I don't think I was ready based on her previous works, but I enjoyed it. Uh, so in this adaptation, the Miller's daughter was blessed by one of the world gods, and the king is a vicious, cruel uh, member of the undead wild hunt. So, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It went real far. So, there's the harvest, like at the end of each season, there's a moon. So, like, there's the harvest moon, there's the fertility moon, you know, like the changing of the seasons. Right. And every time there's a changing of the seasons, the king and his undead people go on a wild hunt and go kill magical creatures and things and they bring them back to his castle and he mounts them on the walls as part of his decoration and I just wasn't prepared for heads being chopped off bloodying the walls I just wasn't ready for that but it was there uh so the book is not <laughs> sorry I just, I, I'm not laughing at the story I'm just <laughs> laughing at how you're telling it I'm a very animated person I apologize don't apologize for being animated it's fun so I'm about 50 pages to the end and there have been some deaths recently and oh, I wish I had the book in front of me. It talks about how the dead people without going too much into it, because it's a super spoiler, um, have their hearts ripped out and it talks about the gaping hole in their chest and the sinew and the gristle and the bones. And I just, it was a lot. I was not ready for that. Is it bad that everything she's saying is like, oh. Maybe I should go check out this book. Okay, so no, this book is super good. Like it, what the reason I brought it up is because it fits really, really into the current magical fantasy stories that are coming out that are a little yeah. bit darker. You've got the ghost king, you have the queen and the revenge trying to get her back, a castle that changes during the day into the night, blood dripping down the walls. Like it fits very well into these worlds that are coming out now. When there's been a lot of pull from looking at the stories of the wild hunt lately too and that's maybe that's because of what we've been going through the last few years but it's been it's been pretty prevalent in a lot of the stuff I've been seeing yeah well, even even when it's fiction art tends to imitate life yes that is true so I think this was a good a good book to come out now I think it's very relevant in what's going on uh, but it is a series which I'm disappointed about because that means I have to keep reading them because I love them and this one came out in November. So it's not that you're upset that it's a series. You're mm -hmm. upset you're... that you have to wait for the series. Because the last one came out, what, three months ago? Yeah, you, you got a Which little bit of a wait Which means I have there. a while to wait. Yeah. You, you have a hot minute. 
Yeah. And I'm like 50 pages to the end and I know there's going to be another one anyway. So the next one that I chose uh, is the true story of the three little pigs. That's a big shift between the two books. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't really read these very often, but I was thinking, okay, so what else have I got up my sleeve? And I remembered this book from when I was growing up. Uh, I love this book. Yeah. 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 It's an amazing book. It came out, it was published in 1989. Yeah. It's held up. Yeah, it has held up. And it was nominated for the California Young Readers Medal in 1992, which explains why I read it, because I was four living in California. So all the libraries had it. We were reading it in class. It was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, But friends. Exactly. It was published like 33 years ago. So just. Annie, are you calling us old? Yeah. No, no. I'm just saying 1989 (laughs) was, was 30 years ago. (laughs) I don't think we want to talk about this anymore. Can, let's. I know. So uh, anyway, a little. <laughs> right. This story, uh, it tells the story of the three little pigs, but it's from the wolf's perspective and he's in jail. So it's kind of a journalistic approach. It's a picture book, but it's almost, you can almost call it like a true crime fairy tale picture book that, that was way before its time. Uh, it's it's illust- the original true crime. It is. It's actually categorized in fra- fractured fairy tales back when that was the genre. Um, but it's illustrated in sepia tones. And so to me, it looks like one of those old Western family pictures that you would take in a ghost town. And I think mm-hmm. that kind of adds to the, the grime and just the whole atmosphere of what happened. Uh, so the wolf He's obviously guilty. This is told after it happened. Uh, He's guilty of eating the pigs, but he tries really hard to justify and prove his innocence, even though he's in jail. And one of my favorite parts is when he argued that he just needed a cup of sugar from his neighbor and the pigs wouldn't give it to him. So of course he got mad and did some things. When I was doing research on this, I read reviews of people saying, oh, I just read that to my kid and they loved it. I just read that to my kid. And although this book is 30 years old, uh, it still speaks to kids because it's very similar. His justification is very similar to how kids try to get out of things. Like, well, of course I blew their house down. They wouldn't give me sugar. Come on. Of course but I it didn't get my way. So I had to hit them. Yeah. Right. It's, like, yeah. it's timeless. Come on. Yes. <laughs> uh, so he does try to bring you over to his side, but in the end, it's still really easy to see that he's guilty because like a child, his justification is very thin. It's very, very thin. Uh, and the whole, you know, still in jail part. Uh, but I, I think that book is going to stick around for a really long time. I think it will continue to be read and continue to be in schools. The it's last definitely one, definitely a withstanding yeah. classic. Oh yeah. Uh, the last one that I chose is called My Calamity Jane. Again, this one was published in 2020, which I feel like was forever ago when it wasn't. It was written by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows. So three different authors. I love Jody Meadows. What else has she written? I think she wrote the series that I kept telling you to read, um, the Incarnate series. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go off on that for a different chapter of our podcast. <laughs> we clearly that have is, a problem, all three of us. It's not a problem unless we admit it's a problem. It's fine. We have a hobby. Yes, so <laughs> this is the third book in their Janie's series. Uh, And the Janie series is where they've taken well-known stories with characters named Jane and twisted them. 
So there's my Lady Jane, which is Jane Grey, my Fair Jane, which is Jane Eyre, and then my Calamity Jane, which is Calamity Jane. They have another series that's all about characters named Mary. They're amazing. So in this volume, Calamity Jane, who was a real person in the Old West, um, followed around with Buffalo Bill's Wild West show as a sharpshooter. Uh, It follows that story, but there are werewolves and they are werewolf hunters. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. And I am now so excited. I've seen. Oh my gosh. Yes. So they go around in the wild, Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. They follow that around the country, the frontier, but it's a front for their werewolf hunting things. That's brilliant. That's such a fun twist. It is. And they're not, they're not, it's not a werewolf killing story. It's not, it's not, you know, mount on your horses, go get the werewolves. It's, we have to free this town of something that's happened. Um, So if you think it's going to be a, you know, hunting werewolves, it's really not. But it follows Calamity Jane. It's got Annie Oakley in there. It's got all these characters, all these people that were around in the late 1800s, but puts a twist on their real life stories. After I read this, I, you know, it brought me to doing some research on who these people actually were. And I know they weren't hunting werewolves. Like, that's not a thing. But it did get me wondering what parts of the story were true and which ones weren't. Uh, and I think that's a great thing that fairy tales and lore can do is that it it causes you to want to know more. And sometimes in finding more, you find even more fantastic things that weren't presented, especially when you're getting into myths and even Wild West is there were some crazy things that happened and adding werewolves just makes it that much better. Right on. So yeah, those are the three books that I chose. Uh, Nia, would you like to share your titles? Sure. So um, I have got some that I'm sure people are probably familiar with a couple of these. Um, my first one is Confessions of an Ugly Stepsister by yes. Gregory Maguire. I devoured this book when I first got it. I am pretty sure it's still on my shelf. We've moved a couple times. Sometimes books get lost in moves. So I think I have it, but or I still have my copy, but it was... It's a twist on the Cinderella story. It is told from the perspective of the ugly stepsister as opposed to Cinderella. And usually when you have the Cinderella stories, you have, you know, the, the ugly stepsisters are bitter and they're, they're just, they're awful people. I mean, the original story, they're cutting off toes to fit into these slippers because that's what their mother is telling them to do because the little sister is not the one that's supposed to be getting married first. It showed a totally different take. It's actually set in 17th century Holland as opposed to a more mythical place. It's a whole different take on it. And you feel very, you feel very much for these characters. And they have a lot of touch of real in there too. There's at one point where, you know, she's doubling over with having menstrual cramps. They don't talk about that in the original story, but it's just one more point of, I get that. I'd be grumpy too. I have been grumpy too, you know. I love how real that is. Exactly. That's, so all fun these that things it are actually is included. Me, but also I have this thing going on and it's pretty awful. Yep. So that's, that was something I really, you know, you've got, you just, it's just a, a it, it hits you in places that the original story maybe doesn't hit you in, but you still can definitely associate and really identify with the characters. Um, so that one was my first one. Um, it's by the same author that wrote Wicked, which has spawned musicals and all sorts of other stuff, which I enjoyed Wicked as well. Yeah. But I liked this one better. 
probably because I read it first and I just, that was my bias because I did enjoy both, but I did pick this one. This is the one I liked a lot. I think with his writing, the first book you read is definitely your favorite because I read Wicked and then I read Confessions and I liked Wicked better. And I think it was more of just- That was your side, introduction. Yeah, that was the introduction that to that author. But no, you're right. All of I his books like are, are so well written. They are. I feel like we need to have a debate to tell me which one I should read first because I've never read either of them. Both. Whichever one gets to your house first when you order it. That's a yeah. good answer. <laughs> so no, take that one. No, that was that was brilliant. I I can't argue with Nia's logic at all. That was nope. Whichever one gets on. to my house first. <laughs> so, uh, the second one I picked is actually a graphic novel slash. It, it was it's called Lore Olympus. If you are a reader of webtoon at all, this is really really big on webtoon. It pops up. There were ads on Facebook everywhere. There's a really really big push for it. It's by Rachel Smythe. I was wondering why that was familiar and that's why. Yep. Um, Because I was just recently looking at Webtoon and that that would explain it. It is a stunningly told story the way that it is. When you read it, it's the original love story between Hades and Persephone. So it's more of a romance, but it definitely takes a whole different perspective on it. did see this on Facebook. It (laughs) It is stunning. Absolutely stunning. The artwork is stunning. The storytelling is really, really well done. She is not afraid to go into awkward things. We, you, you've got Riordan's take on mythology. I suspect he probably shied away from some of the more rapey aspects of some of the gods. Because there's a Rachel lot of does, them. Rachel does so not do many. that. There's, there's so many. So many. <laughs> that is. Yeah, Rick Riordan does shy away from all of that. There is, there is books. no rape in any of his books. Yeah, there's kids' books. I completely understand that. Yeah. This is this is not, and it's this is not for the children. No, no, okay. it is not. There but may be pictures, is... but this is not a picture book. Exactly. <laughs> so it is, but yeah, it is very beautifully uh, written, very beautifully told. The, the pictures are stunning. The book only goes through episode twenty-five. I believe they are. There's over hundred and seventy on webtoon so it's on it's hosted on webtoon yes so when you hit episode 25 and you go i have to have more there are more and uh depending on when you are listening to this particular episode there is a brief hiatus so if you catch up on everything on webtoon you have to wait for a little bit more oh um so this is a this is a very current webtoon it's still going on yes Yeah, it's very current. Like I said, it's beautifully done. It came out, uh, it won an ALA Alex Award this year in 2022. That's a big Um, deal. Yeah, it's very new for the publishing, but I highly recommend it. You just, you get completely sucked in. So, and it's, again, it's a, it pulls from a lot of the aspects of the mythology, but it updates them because when the mythology first came out, there weren't computers, but there are in this one. So yeah, it, it's really pulls from, uh, the whole, the entire story of how they got there. You've got mentions of Kronos. You've got mention of how the gods became, you know, the kings of Olympus and the underworld. You have all that. So it's it's a very good evolution of very, very old mythology that has been redone and redone and redone and redone, but it's very fresh. So that's, that's my second one. And my third one is a Terry Pratchett book from Discworld, uh, Lords and Ladies. And it's a retake on A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, it's very well done. It's very snarky. Uh, if anyone is familiar with Terry Pratchett's Discworld, you have the witches who are grannies and they are snarky. Like they speak to me. I, they're my favorite <laughs> characters. I think out of most books I've read, 
ever. So you have Granny Weatherwax who's doing her shenanigans on the backdrop of a retell of a Midsummer Night's Dream. And it is whimsical and bright and a very nice, you know, palette cleanser book. And it's Terry Pratchett. So it's very witty. It's probably one of my favorite books that he's ever written. And he's very, very prolific, but you have a full cast of his entire Discworld going on too. So that one, if you're looking for just a, a humorous light fantasy to chase away all of the stuff going on, this is definitely it. I highly, highly recommend it. And because it's been out for a very, very long time, it, okay, not very, very, he's been writing a very long time. This particular one came out in 92, which is not that long ago. Well, it feels like gonna... it was not that long ago. There yeah. I there are students that weren't even high school juniors that are born in like 2005. Yeah. It just, it just hurts. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. was- Because the 90s out... doesn't feel like it was that far away. It really doesn't. Yeah. But this was 30 years ago. It came out exactly, almost exactly 30 years ago. In November will have been 30. And this is the chapter where we talk about how old we feel. <laughs> Welcome. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it happens. It catches you off guard. It does. So, I feel that old until someone says something and I'm like, oh, I didn't like that at all. You know, no. I, I don't feel that old until I hear that there was a book published this week about the 1990s and how everyone's excited. And I thought, oh, that's right. That was 30 years ago. It was yeah. 30 years ago. It's worth writing about because it's been so long ago. And it's historical. I don't this remember point. it. It's, it's vintage. historical. Mm-hmm. It, oh, <laughs> vintage. Oh, that just (laughs) hurt. There are some places, uh, Utah is one of them with vintage car rules and vintage is 30 years plus. Oh, no, no, no. I know. Yeah. So that's the only reason I'm thinking about it that way is I've seen a lot of kerfluffle over that. Well, ladies, that that just means that we're not old, we're vintage. Yeah. And that is a beautiful, lovely word. Yes. It is has so a much that, that, a much lighter connotation. Yeah, it's swankier. <laughs> so <laughs> that right. is my so, stack. So Sydney, what are you reading next? Oh, I am re-picking up a discovery of witches. I started it a while ago, and it was intriguing, and it was this fun new take on witches and vampires and stuff. And then life got in the way, and I was doing a PhD program, and it kind of just fell off my radar because it's a Kindle book and it's not a physical thing that can remind me that it's there. Um, but they have the series that's on a platform I don't have. And so every time I see ads for it, I'm like, oh, I don't have that. Oh, but I have the book. I know what happens. I just have to read it. So I, I'm going to re-pick up A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness. Excellent. I wanted to pick that one up because of what you said, how it's on some streaming service. Yeah, I thought, oh, I, I should read that. AMC, before read I think. Um, yeah or hbo something like that it's not hbo no no No. i'd be happy if it was i don't have it so yeah i don't have it so it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) but yes that's every time the new arrivals would come in for that one for the next book in the series be like oh i should find the first one and start this one and that is one that's been on my list for a while yeah Yeah, i'll get to it someday It, it looks really intriguing and it caught my eye in the bookstore for I don't know, four or five visits before I actually was like, I'm just going to, I don't know if I want the physical copy. I'll, you know, the Kindle copy is cheaper. So I downloaded the Kindle copy and then life. But you guys have been talking about such interesting books today that all of the, like my, what my, what I'm going to read next, it might very well change because some of the books that you guys mentioned, I'm really excited to go look into now. I have three books on my list from today. I'm so excited about the books we talked about today. I'm, I can't even handle it. Annie, what's on your up next? 
So on my list, I've got a book from Christmas that I still haven't gotten to. Um, my husband got me a copy of Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. And I have heard that this is a this is a book that is for people who love books. Um, everyone who's read it has just said it's beautiful and that I need to. So I'm very excited to pick that one up. It's like 500 pages, so it's going to take me a while. So I might be saying okay. that's what I'm reading next for the next, oh, I don't know, three months. Um, it happens. <laughs> there are worse things in this world. Because life. And then I'm also picking up uh, Skin of the Sea by Natasha Bowen. And I wanted to have that one finished for this uh, chapter, but I don't. And it is a twist on mermaids uh, and slaves. Nice. So yeah, the mermaids or merfolk, if you will, are responsible for the souls of people who end up in the sea and there's a slave ship involved and, you know, taken on the world. And yeah, I'm excited. It'll be really good. I'm excited to hear what you think about that. Yeah. Neil, what do you have? Uh, mine's heavy. It's uh, Burning the Books, A History of the Deliberate Destruction of Knowledge by Richard Oviden. That is uh, heavy. Yeah. That I, goes I'm... in line with what we talked about <laughs> last chapter. Heavy, but timely. Yes. yes. Very timely. timely. It's relatively new. It came out last year. I'm doing research for something I'm writing and picked that up. And I pulled a few excerpts from it and got completely sucked into it. So I bought my own copy so I could mark it all up with all of my thoughts and notes. I love so, being able to put my thoughts and markups in a book. Yeah. I have That's little, and I, part of I've got little copy. flags marking everywhere I've out like underlined so I can turn to them really quick. Cause I I'm completely sucked in. So I don't write in my books, but I have little notebooks to go next to my books. That works. I have sticky notes everywhere in them too. Um, my brain works in sticky note form. Yeah. That's so that's, that's my current one. That's how I think that's what I'm that's where I'm at. So I love that. I have a copy that I had to, when I was in high school and junior high, we had to buy our own copies of the classroom books yeah, and, I did too. and which I loved because then I got to keep it. Yep. Um, but I remember in ninth grade, we had to read to kill a mockingbird and it's one of the few books in high school that I enjoyed. But I love going back into that book because she had us underline words that we didn't know and write in the margins about things that we thought were happening. And so I can actually go back and look at this book and it's like a, a little passport into my past thinking and my my previous growth as a, as a human because I can be like, oh, I didn't know what that word meant at that time. And, and it actually helps me as a teacher when I'm looking at that going, oh, I, as a ninth grader, I didn't know what that word meant. And I was a rather prolific reader. So if I didn't know what that word meant, my 11th graders probably don't either, you know? So that's pretty neat. Yeah, I was thinking I that just, too, that it's good to be reminded of how you were yeah. in because you know, I don't, artifacts, not just memories. I don't journal. I don't, I don't do diaries or anything like that. And so it's kind of like, that's what it was for me is going back and looking at what I thought and what I was looking at and what I was thinking about when I was reading that. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like journaling in a way it's, it's a, it's a demonstration of your thought process. So I I think it is journaling, not like journaling. It is. (laughs) That is pretty neat. Anyway, Nia, thank you for bringing that topic up because I think that, I think that it's okay to mark up books if they're yours and not library. If they're yours, do not write in the library books, please do not not write in the library. Do not No, And do not fold the edges down. Do not. They're just, there are bookmarks for a reason. And they're so cute. Like you can make your own. It's fine. Yeah. Take some time, make a bookmark. Don't, don't use the book as your book or use your due date receipt. Yeah, that's true. See, you were given a bookmark. Use it. My classes, every time we read a, a classroom book, I give them bookmarks 
with vocabulary words on them. Nice. So that as we're reading, as they're getting through the chapters, they might snag a word that they don't know. And here's what it means. So they can just check it, glance it and keep going. Cool. And then they have bookmarks that they can not bend the pages. Don't bend the pages. Don't bend the pages. All right. Well, friends, thanks for listening to this chapter of the book stack. As we sign off, we'd like to leave you with some food for thought. And we'll see you next time when we bring out our favorite true crime books to share from our stacks. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at BookStackTrio and BookStackTrio on Instagram. One of the best things about folklore and fairy tales is that the best fantasy is what you find right around the corner in this world. That's where the old stuff came from. Terry Windling. Mm -hmm.